makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Joshua. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with a good heart and good feelings. It's good for all of us to be here. Since 1992, this is First Voices Radio. Antiochus and Ghost Tour sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Esopus in the lands of the Muncie-speaking Lenape. This is an all-native-hosted, all-native-produced First Voices Radio and Liz Hill is the producer of First Voices Radio. You can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices IndigenousRadio.org for archive, downloading, and listening. Our guest, Candace Hopkins, is a citizen of Carcross Tagish First Nation and lives in Red Hook, New York. Her writing and curatorial practice explore the intersections of history, contemporary art, and indigeneity. She is executive director of Forge Project, Taconic, New York and Senior Curator for the 2019 and 2022 editions of the Toronto Biennial of Art. She was part of the curatorial team for the Canadian Pavilion at the 58th Venice Biennial, featuring the work of the media art collective Isuma and co-curator of notable exhibitions, including the National Travelling Survey Art for New Understanding Native Voices 1950s to Now, and many other notable events that she either curated, participated in, or has written about. And you can find out more about ForgeProject.com. And now we welcome Candace Hopkins to First Voices Radio. Stay tuned. Yes, I wanted to know more about what for the Forge Project is all about because I'm going through some of your archives and some of your presentations you've had. You know, you've talked about the historical trauma and health and disparities in Native communities. You've had performers like Laura Ortman on, um, also other anti-colonial methodologies and disrupting institutions and discussions I'm seeing here. And people who are mm-hmm. activists and, and artists and native as we are it's in this area, actually, maybe the, the continent, want to know about what what is the FORGE project? Yeah, great question. 
you know, we're a new organization. We just had our one-year anniversary. And Forge was initiated uh, by two co-founders, Becky Goshman and Zach Foyer. Um, Becky was actually a high school, or sorry, an elementary art school teacher. And Zach ran a gallery in Chelsea for a long time. And so they they were really interested in um, helping start a project that would have a deep social impact. And so that's when they reached out to me, to um, Heather Briegel, who's uh, first line descent at Stockbridge Muncie. She's enrolled in Ida. She was our inaugural uh, director of education um, because they felt like uh, a Native organization, particularly in the Hudson Valley, would have wide-reaching impact given that, you know, this is a place of great displacement, as you know, intimately. Um, And I think sometimes when there's, when we live in a place of displacement, you know, Forge is just on the edge of West Taconic and Ancram. So that is the traditional homelands of Mohicaniac people who were displaced all the way to Wisconsin. Um, I think sometimes that creates a bit of of a vacuum for for knowledge. Um, so Forge is both an arts edu- arts organization. We have a lending art collection, um, all of contemporary Native artists with a deep focus on artists who are, are living and making work today. We have a fellowship program where we award uh, six awardees, um, a $25,000 um, award, as well as up to three weeks at Forge Project, which are located in two buildings that were designed by the artist and activist Ai Weiwei, who is originally from China. And we have a resident farm, and that's Sky High Farms, and they've developed a program um, for local youth and youth in the city, concentrating mostly on Black and people of color, uh, centered on you know, how we can share knowledge between uh, different cultures, including you know, Indigenous farmers, seed savers, um, particularly centered around intergenerational knowledge, so around youth. And, of course, we do a lot of, of public programs. And a lot of those programs, we're thinking about how to be as accessible as possible. So a lot of those are live-streamed. And we've had one, you know, you, you mentioned recently, which was on anti-colonialism and museums. So I feel like a lot of my colleagues are starting to challenge even the word decolonial because sometimes, you know, the thought is, is that might preclude that we're always already in a kind of colonial framework, whereas you know well, a a lot of Indigenous folks, you know, we still have our customary ways, we still have our traditions, and and tradition doesn't mean something frozen in time. Tradition actually means something that evolves and changing over time, because traditions would never stay relevant if they didn't change. Um, So we're involved in all those areas, and, um, you know, really excited to, to be a part of this community here. Um, where I think that there needs to be a stronger Native presence. And when I moved out here a few years ago, I was thinking the same thing, Candice, is that we need to bring that voice, we need to bring a place of presentation, a presence, actually, for, for the younger voices, but also the older voices. And in this area, I'm really looking to actually trying to understand where are all the elders, you know? Mm-hmm. They've been through the trauma period, and I, I'm seeing and thinking... I don't know if you you agree with this, Candice, but this is like the first generation without trauma. They did not have the trauma that my generation had 
and they seem yeah. to be a little more freer, more adaptable to American culture? Yeah, you know, that's a really, a really good observation. I think my grandmother went to a boarding school, what, what you call a boarding school in the U.S., what in Canada, where I'm from, uh, in the Yukon, uh, we call residential schools. And she went to the Chutla school, and it was, you know, not good. They were, they were not just a project of assimilation, but they're a project of cultural and physical genocide. And, um, you know, we have a lot of trauma from that. And I feel like with my generation, we have a lot of tools at our disposal, right? And, um, and more voice, potentially more, more agency, you know, there's less shame. Like the, I think that the the hard part about, um, you know, my grandmother and my mother's generation is um, there. There was shame around their their identities, and that wasn't coming from our culture, of course. That was coming from uh, from their experiences at residential schools, which were church run. Um, so I think that the strength in our generation and my generation. I'm in my mid 40s now, but I also see you know folks coming up as like teenagers and 20s and and they're doing a lot of that work that's bringing together elders and youth. And I think that's really key. And that's also, you know, something we want to foster more at Forge because we are all keepers of knowledge, but elders are in particular. So, you know, we're in this journey together. And I think sometimes, you know, this Western culture always sometimes wants to forge, you know, a, a bit of a separation between generations. Um, but I think one of the strengths of Indigenous culture, no matter where you're from, is that respect between generations, between, you know, younger and older, and those of us who are between. So when it comes to, you know, the Forge Project, identifying land as we begin with the Taconic and the etymology of our cultures, the etymology of our languages, is that there's an etymology to the newer language, and in, in that's more like a dictionary subjective, objectifying language or it's noun field, whereas compared to the older language, it's more verbs, not just exactly. verbal, but verbs. And I'm, I'm seeing that split now because a lot of people are in a hurry to learn their language, especially the younger generation, is that they want to have that language to identify who they are, but yet that's been codified to uh, adapt to the standards of English. And yet the older language is, is being narrowed down and I would say seeded, to, to look at it optimistically, seeded mm. in the old ways of energy that a lot of the older languages in my studies, they have are able to describe, to describe the, the energy and then to mm-hmm. describe the motion of the energy. And this is why a lot of people, if you look deeper, a lot of native people, not native native cultures in the Western Hemisphere, do not need an alphabet, um, and there because mm-hmm. there there's no need for concepts. Now, this is deep, a deeper question, so mm-hmm. I'm wondering about you know, of course, the historical trauma splits a lot of that makes us dispor- dysphoric people, but yet your Forge project is is like this is a perfect name, and I'm thinking about the title of this. This is a a good one to bring that together that. Yes, it's going to take all of our generations, and in that prophecy of, of a lot of Native people, even the First Nations without the, the border, you know, are, mm-hmm. are similar stories. Are you finding that far and few between? Because is there the population of Native people in this area of Hudson Valley? Mm. There's a lot of questions in what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I'll, maybe I'll start with the beginning one. As you said, okay. you know, um, 
all, I would say all indigenous languages are, are verb-based. So meaning that they're action-based, as you know, like they're centered not on naming things because naming things often declares a kind of ownership or property, right? Mm -hmm. And I think when you're focusing on action, it's a, it's a culture of doing. It's a culture of doing, but not just doing, but sharing. And I've found that, um, you know, speaking to a lot of, uh, a lot of people who never had their languages, their mother tongues divorced from them. Language is a philosophy. Like those two things don't come, aren't, cannot be separated. It's an embodiment. Um, so one of the questions that we're asking for us at Forge is, you know, what does it mean uh, to come back? What does it mean exactly that when, you know, much of the Hudson Valley region is a place of, vast diaspora, a place of forced migration. Um, and what does it mean to return? So we had a really amazing conversation with one of our first fellows in 2021. His name is Brock Schreiber. Brock is from Stockbridge Munson Community in Wisconsin. And he said, you know, I had a really good point. He said, I bet that these trees, and he was talking about the, the sugar trees in particular, and he said, I bet these trees haven't heard Mohican language in a long time. And he's a language learner, and because Mohican language has been a sleeping language for quite a, quite a while. Um, so what does it mean when that language returns? And one thing we had a long conversation about is the fact that, you know, and even where I'm from, uh, we're from Car Cross, which is short for Caribou Crossing in English, but you know, my, my family goes all the way back to Klukwan in Alaska. So languages are formed in relation to the land. Whatever your land is, whether it's, you know, water and mountains and, you know, your, your verbs are formed in that relation too. Uh, I was talking to a friend, Marianne Nicholson, who's uh, Kukwakiwak on the northwest coast. And she said, you know, in, in their language in Kukwala, they don't have, of course, north, south, east, west. They have, have away from the ocean and towards the ocean, you know up the mountain and down the mountain, right? And so, you know, when you think about it that, that way, when you remove the people from the land, you're also taking the language away from the land. And so what does it mean to bring that back? So that's one of the questions we're asking ourselves at Forge is, you know, is this a form of, you know, what a term a lot of people are talking about now is land back? You know, can we think of land back even beyond, uh, like physical land and territory, but about the return of language. And for us at Forge, you know, now we're going to work on a rematriation project we're calling instead of repatriation, we call it rematriation. And that is, you know, when we're bringing back uh, the seeds, uh, the plants that were there, you know, along with the knowledge. Um, for us, that's a broader project of rematriation, and that's all action-based. To return to your first point about, you know, Indigenous uh, languages being, you know, centered on action, verb. I'm thinking about the community that you're involved in and how, where can I see this? Can people go to any center or is this a virtual on-site thing that we just, you know, we, we, we tune into or do you have a radio? I mean, how do you get the news out there rather than just <laughs> through the internet? Yeah. That's a good question. So we do have uh, live events, like in-person events. They're modest because we can hold about 30 people in our space and we advertise that on social media, on our website. So we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Um, we, and oftentimes, even when we have those live events, we stream it virtual, virtually on our, on our Vimeo channel because we recognize that a lot of our audiences aren't always here physically. So um, we also want to make that 
accessible to them out there. So we have, yeah, we have Vimeo channel, we have Instagram. Whenever we do a concert like the one we did with Laura at Time and Space Limited in Hudson, we live stream that too. <laughs> you know, mm. we, we, I think that a lot of people don't realize this, but Native folks are some of the earliest adopters of different kinds of technology. And, you know, uh, live streaming is one of those. Um, and then, you know, for folks whose homeland we're on, so Stockbridge Muncie community and those, they come and stay, of course. Like we want to try to make, uh, this is this is ultimately their land. It's not my land, and so I mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm a I, I'm a guest on on this land. So, you know, our job is to is is for it to be welcoming for a place for folks to stay to come. So, two of our fellowships now coming up in 2022 will be f- dedicated solely for members of Stockbridge Muncie community. But yeah, I, I I welcome everyone to check out our website, and uh, those are all ways that that you can be engaged at Forge, and then. Because we're a small venue, we, we do a lot of collaborations. Um, so like the the performance of Laura Ortman could hold, you know, 100 people over at, at Time and Space Limited in Hudson. And we like to like to partner with as many organizations as we can because, you know, as you said off the top, there's not a very large Native presence here. And it's growing, of course, but it's still pretty modest. And so how do we create as large a platform as we can? can because you know we're we're really dedicated to the amplification of voices of native voices so we're talking with candace hopkins who is a citizen of the car cross tigish first nations but living in, in red hook new york and we're talking about the forgeproject.com which is website but this is this is my piece here that i'm really interested in because as you know there's a lot of farms in this area and that this is the baby of who we are as nations, indigenous nations, anywhere in, in the world, but especially here in this area, there's a lot of farms. And, and I'm interested in this collaborative incubator at Forge Project that will or is developing called Sky High Farm. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, great question. So Sky High is an existing farm actually located in Pine Plains, uh, New York, where I'm calling you from right now. And uh, they, it was an initiative originally started by an artist named Dan Cullen, and it involves a lot of collaborators now. And the impetus of Sky High was to enable access uh, for good, fresh food, including, uh, including beef and lamb and vegetables, all to all as a food justice project. So everything that they do is not sold. It's given for free. They do a lot of partnerships with um, organizations working in food insecurity, uh, with food banks, um, because they feel like everyone from all walks of life should have access to good food. And we thought that that was such an important mission. So they've created an incubator, exactly as you describe it, at um, Forge Project. So it's a teaching, it's a teaching kitchen with an oven that's been an outdoor oven that's been specially collaborate or calibrated for baking. Uh, there's a kitchen garden. There's a larger garden that's centered on the three sisters. So corn, beans, and squash, you know, well, so the seeds that were traditionally planted here. And the first event that they did uh, was in collaboration with Lucy Burr. So Lucille Burr is from Stockbridge Muncie community is a seed saver. And some of the initiatives that we're starting are um, a seed bank, uh, and we'll, you know, work together with folks from Stockbridge once to determine how seeds are kept, who they should be distributed to, so that, you know, really it's enabling uh, a seed bank to grow, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we'll do a harvest event later in the year, 
And what they've done in between that is to bring in um, school buses of, of students, of youth groups, including Kites Nest there in the Hudson Valley, but really focused on what we call intersectional learning. So particularly students from um, immigrant families, from Afro-Caribbean families, uh, so that um, there can be a real sharing of knowledge amongst um, people who've traditionally farmed in this area, as well as a real emphasis on bringing back the plants that always would have been farmed in this area. Mm, that's so so nice to hear that. Um, but no buffalo yet, Candice? <laughs> no buffalo yet. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. All yeah. right. So, so yeah, it's really nice talking to you. One thing I'm really interested before we go here is it is a works in progress to the Sky High Farm. And is there a model that the farm is following in this area or is, is it bringing new technology, new, new earth science to, mm-hmm. to this area? You know, there's a lot of amazing farms here doing great work, like Sweet Freedom Farm that I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, I think the Hudson Seed Bank has a really important collaboration, particularly with Agua Sustine community, Mohawk community that's there on the Canada-U.S. border. Um, And then there's other farms that also have cultural easements uh, with with Stockbridge Monsey community too. So there are there are some different templates. I'd say that they're all kind of you know uh, starting, and I think that the great thing about working with the farming community is people are really interested sharing knowledge, sharing skills, sharing lands, sharing seeds. Um, so there's just incredible collaboration amongst that community. So we hope that, you know, this is just the start and we and we can do more. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you, Candace Hopkins. And uh, when I plant my, my garden, I'm a Lakota, I'm a, I'm a Plains person. So I plant my garden, but I still, we still have planters within our, our clans, so to speak. And I'm part of the Minikoshu mm-hmm. Minikoja with meat, which means plants by the water. So I know uh, the planting songs. So when I plant, I'm planting with the songs. And on harvesting, which I did the other day with corn, I had a harvest song. And right. it was new to other peoples who, who never heard this. And even their own traditions, which brings more more religion than than spirituality, I would say, to the land. They're mm-hmm. they're seeing things in a different way. And I think having this forge project and even the Sky High Farm uh, project going is this. It's going to be guiding this original consciousness of who we are, and I just want to say that because that's what I'm feeling from your generation as well, you know. But it, it's it's um, how do I say? People say, "Oh, we have to build bridges," but I really think that we haven't recognized the ones that are already here. You see, that are here, built naturally um, with relations with the animals, you know, of course, the land. And I think that's what um, the, the new recognition that we are we are turning towards. We, we're facing the right direction. We just haven't found the right path yet. Yeah, I completely agree. And um, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Lexi Smith and Nina Tucker, who are spearheading the project at uh, Sky High at Forge. But to also say that... Um, you know, we need to get back to a place where we understand and we care for and we're custodians of the land and plants as beings, you know, not as property, but as beings. Thank you, Candice, for being here and um, we'll be in touch. I yes, and thank visit. you yeah. for the airtime. Yep, I so appreciate it. It was such a lovely conversation to have with you today. Great. Thank you, Candice. Take care. 
Okay, take care. Okay. Good night. We say up north. <laughs> oh, how do you say it? Konotis. Konotis. Come back and the power come back and the 
emotions come back and the prayers come back and the coral come back and the soil come back and the tenderness come back and hell the brothers said we must remember the old ways the dreaming of the land and the calling of the rain we are life itself remembering our way we are life itself Yeah, this is Jokes and Ghost Horse, and this is First Voices Radio. That was Nick Mulvey with In the Anthropocene, a friend, and we've talked to him a few times over the years, uh, last three or four years. Um, that song came out and talking about the the uh, extinction of the human because of the way we live, really. But, you know, and that we look into the medicinal way of a lot of people who, in this case, are indigenous indigeneity within us all it's really talking about we still have that place in us that we can retrieve and uh, not go back to but understand where we are in this present energy and uh, i have to use this language in this way because it sounds very had like it has no base so i'm going to be speaking english to you because i don't know english very well but i know one thing as a native person not owned by america uh, as a First Nation person, not owned by Canada, like a First Nation person, not owned by anybody. This land is not owned by anybody, but if you want to go for that, you go for that. You can be that American. You can be those peoples who often disguise, dis describe possession through the language. And one way is creating myth about who we are as Native people. And I talk about creating myth. There's a few words that are being noted as to how to describe Native people. 
And in this case, the, the, the newspaper, the Native American Journalist Association, bars the New York Times from its conference over harmful coverage. They think about maybe possibly the biggest newspaper in the Western Hemisphere, maybe the world, the New York Times. Well, guess what? We little Indians, little Native people, we banned your paper because of how you cover us in a harmful way. Yeah, that that's us. And I'm going to read a little bit from that and give you some thoughts on that. You're not welcome anymore as the New York Times, because over the years, other Native American Journalists Association and writers have been covering and watching and reading and all these harmful tropes and stereotypes of Native or Indigenous peoples worldwide, but here within the beast, the Valley of the Beast called America. And since this rift began in 2019, one of the artists in Toronto, an Inuit artist, harmful stereotypes, was calling out the New York Times. And the article begins with drawn from poverty, which is kind of like, have you heard the, the words about uh, poverty porn? There's a lot of assumptions and stereotyping about Native people as Indians, as Native Americans, as Indigenous peoples, because that is very, to me, as a Native person, we are not going to fit within the box. These community members who are Native people are calling out media. And it's, it's beginning, folks, it's beginning. And these controversies over the stories that have been written about us, these myths and romanticizations of who we are as Native people have been called out. And they're going to be continued to be called out. And when I say this is there's certain phrases, certain phrases that call this assumption out. So I'm going to go through a little bit of these phrases because I do know there is this harmful effect. The Native, Native American Journalists Association in Indian country have monitored and came up with what mainstream press and even alternative where they go with how to describe and where to place us. So the reporting in Indian Country edition, each time one of these ideas appears in your story, we, we as Native people, we mark the board like a bingo card. The more marks that signal cliched storytelling, a, a heavy reliance on stereotypes or a lack of experience reporting in Indian Country, if you score a bingo, consider killing your story and a contact and contact a consultant at the Native American Journalists Association. So those of you those of you who are making up stories about Native people, maybe this is helpful because this is um, how we came up how Native American Journalists Association have come up with this list. And these are the words when you think of Native people in the Western way of thinking in America, right? So these words, I'm gonna go through them here. And this, these words are, one is alcohol. What do you think of all oh, those? There's our problem is alcohol, Native people, Indigenous Indians. And dancing, powwows. They're always dancing. And you think of them as a warrior people. These are three words, alcohol, dancing, a warrior. Then there's a sexual assault for those of you who are really understanding where we are coming from. And then there's the vanishing culture. Right? The vanishing culture that we're going to die out. 
I reference this once in a while too. And reference to the ancestors, reference to drugs, a casino, something, quote, quote, sacred, unemployment, horses, spirit horses, diabetes, addiction, and we can go on and on, right? I'm telling you that this actually exists, how how we are treated is because of the language, and it's your language, so we're going to really have to understand it more closely, what this really means. And so what I'm saying this is, okay, let's beat on drums. So you see out there the New Age circles all drumming because they think that's what we do. Of course we do, but at very various times. And broken families, plight of Indians, poverty, the violence, the dying language, a reservation, singing, poor education and suicide, all of these one, two, three, four, five, 25 words that assumed about Native people are actually coming from this society, from this civilization. All of those things were not there. The assumptions that these 25 words were not present, and now they are. But even our own Native people are actually using these to get by, to maybe divide our people even more so. And it's a loss of language. And I continue to say, loss of language, not the one that is codified as Tink Tinker said out of Colorado, the Osage elder. We're codifying our language and native languages to fit the standard of least expression called English. And yes, I know this. If this is happening, then think about how far we are distancing our language, saying English, is distancing you from the origins of who you are as the indigeneity within the indigenous thought process that it's there, but we cover it up by saying those original peoples, they're not native anymore. They are Americans. They are Native Americans. They are wards of the government. They have all these problems, so therefore they must be taken care of. But also there's a poor excuse of breaking treaties. The poor excuse of domination saying, we own the land. You lost the war. That was then. This is now. Technology, the life is better now. Otherwise, you'd be out there running around chasing buffalo. On and on and on. These are constant in a deter- deteriorating of the spirit of a lot of unknown people because that happened, as John Trudell said last week, it happened at least 900 years across the pond in Europe. So that's the continuation that's going on here. So I'm just referring to this article in the New York Times that does talk about the Native American Journalists Association is saying, we do do not want this anymore. Your newspapers, New York Times especially, stay away. That's not a warning. That's just something until you repair the damage of that relationship and apologize, and there's a big action that needs to be had by you, the New York Times, that needs to be had in order to really see us in the light rather than the shadows of assumption that you identify us with. That's what that said. Those words belong to me. We are not a bingo game. Again, alcohol, for example, violence, drumming, poor education, or vanishing culture. So with that, it's problematic or inaccurate for indigenous communities 
So you wonder why we can't get along in the system. That's one point. So with that, I'm going to go out and say, we're going to go to some music here and and we'll come back next time and talk about that. But at the end of that song by Nick Mulvey, I was drink, I was hearing the water and I just, I'm going to do that now. Mini, we chose on this water. Mini, M-N-I. The E means like voicing. The Ni means living. The M in M-N-I and Mini. The M means, the M means that which is related between you and I and all things. So Mini to us is voicing the living relationship between you and I and all things. That in English you, you call the noun water. So this is not our word. It's our feeling, our expression of that energy that you call water, we call mani. The living relationship, voicing the living relationship between you and I and all things. So there we go. Thanks for joining us.
and cheese Drinking champagne That white skin got assassin's eyes I'm looking up into the sapphire tinted skies I'm wild dressed Waiting on the last train Standing on the gallows with my And now I'm expecting all hell to break loose People are crazy and talks are strange I'm locked in tight, I'm out of range I used to care, but things have changed Down, gonna fly high on the 
As we go out here, that was Thelma Plum with When It Rains, It Pours, a single release out of this year, 2022. And after that was Blue Moon Drive with Ishkwe, Tom Wilson, Chuck Capones. And finally, with Dylan, Bob Dylan. Yes, the Bob Dylan with Things Have Changed. And thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. a warrior in every way and he was always listening a dedication to people's displaced and he was always listening if a little birdie flew into his space he was always listening and with the spirit of the ancient ways he was always receiving He said, come with me people, stand up with me people, as one and as equals, let's honor all people. Come with me people, stand up with me people, as one and as equals, let's honor all people, all people. Come with me people, stand up with me people 